Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this evening to Leviticus and turning to chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, and this is found on page 88 in the Church Bibles. This is God's word. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Aziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I am uh, commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your son's due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel." the thigh that is contributed, and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now Moses, dili- Moses dil- diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, 
the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and yet such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. If it feels good, do it. That's uh, one of the beliefs of our culture today, that authenticity is the highest standard that one should hold oneself to. If it feels good, then go ahead. That mindset can uh, uh, infiltrate and uh, penetrate even into uh, the, the religious community, uh, the community of God's people, uh, as they think about how they live before God and how they bring worship before God. How should we worship God? And as we've been looking at Leviticus, Leviticus has been a book about how we draw near to God. How can we come into the presence of God? Who can draw near before God's throne? And the teaching of scripture is the one with clean hands and a pure heart. And Leviticus was teaching us that it was through the, the tabernacle that God would meet with his people that it was through the priests who were consecrated for that role that God would meet uh, with his people. And that it was through the offering of sacrifices that there was this bridge between a holy God and his sinful people. And what Leviticus is emphasizing is, is that preferences or what we feel must yield ultimately to God's command. That God's glory, that God's will is to shape the way in which we come before God. And we are to submit uh, to his revealed will. We have been looking at uh, uh, Leviticus and how it has introduced us to the worship in the Old Covenant. What we call the tabernacle worship. The tabernacle was that tent in the wilderness. It was that a uh, place where God promised to meet with his people in a special way. And you remember that we highlighted that we're looking at a small portion of Leviticus. These three chapters, Leviticus 8, 9, and 10, actually give us something of narrative, events that were taking place in history. Whereas most of Leviticus is uh, commands and stipulations and instructions uh, that can feel very dry. But here we're looking at events that happened and they all surround the beginning of corporate worship. And we realize how God has set down clear rules for how his people are to draw near to him. We have to remember that uh, chapter divisions are something that the church has uh, put into the scriptures. Uh, to help us to be able to, to navigate and to reference portions of it. Those chapter divisions are helpful 
but we shouldn't think that those chapter divisions somehow uh, separate uh, events either. We're meant to read Leviticus 10 with Leviticus 8 and 9 in hindsight, in the background. And when you read Leviticus 8 and 9, you'll notice that there's a certain refrain that comes up again and again. It tells us about how God gave all these commandments about worship. But then it goes on and it says, and they did what the Lord had commanded. Everything was done as it was commanded by the Lord. 16 times you will read about that in Leviticus 8 and 9. So that when you get to Leviticus 10, and it tells us there at the beginning of the chapter that they offered up unauthorized fire uh, before the Lord, which he had not commanded. It's supposed to arrest us in our steps. It's not just, oh, by the way, this was something optional that they did, or this was just something that they thought of on the spur of the moment. We're meant to look at this event against the backdrop that everything up until this point has been exactly according to God's command. But now there's been a violation. And now God's judgment comes. It's also helpful to remember that as we're coming to look at this event uh, in Leviticus 10, that it's all happening in sequence. The, the priests have just been consecrated. They have just completed their week of being set apart for this role. The priests have just offered up the sacrifice. Aaron has just finished his offerings. He has just blessed the people. Fire has just come down and consumed the offerings, communicating God's presence with them. The people have just shouted with joy. And now we're looking at God's judgment coming on those very same people. And this evening we want to look at this event in Leviticus 7, uh, 10. And we want to see uh, what happens uh, when the Lord is not honored as holy. We want to see that because the Lord is and will be honored as holy by those who draw near to him, we need a high priest that is marked by obedience. Not just that we need a high priest, but we need a high priest who holds God's honor intact. We need a high priest who honors God as holy. We need a high priest who holds both God's righteousness and God's mercy intact. And so we want to look at this event in two thoughts. We want to think about the crisis that takes place and then the concern uh, that follows as a result. Well, first, uh, there is the crisis uh, of the Lord's judgment that comes. It says there at the beginning of the chapter, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. There are various uh, interpretations as to understand what this is talking about. Uh, what is the unauthorized fire? Or as it could be translated, this strange fire. What exactly did Nadab and Abihu do wrong? Uh, some will point down to you notice there in verse 9 where the Lord gives uh, a warning that 
Uh, the priests were not to be under the influence of alcohol. They weren't to be drunk uh, when they performed their duties. And some have highlighted that this perhaps was a, a factor in the judgment that, brought, uh, that came against them, that the priests were careless in what they were doing. Uh, but we see variations in how people understand this. Some have zeroed in on that word unauthorized. Uh, the word there, unauthorized, is a word that means strange. It means alien, alien to God's commands. And so it is something that was outside of what God had expressed as his will. It's the same word that is used in the book of Exodus uh, to describe the incense uh, that the people were to use. There was a certain kind of incense. The people weren't to just offer up any kind of incense or to mix any kind of ingredients. The incense was to be a particular kind of incense. And any other incense was referred to as strange, unauthorized, foreign to God's command. And so some have looked at that and said, well, perhaps what is being meant here is, is that the sons of Aaron were offering up incense that was unauthorized. And that may be what is happening. But we might have expected the language to be that they offered up strange incense instead of strange fire. Another interpretation is to look at what they did here and to zero in on the word fire. Uh, that when the sons of Aaron uh, came uh, to offer up offerings, uh, that they took fire, but not uh, fire from the altar of burnt offering. In other words, uh, uh, the fire that was placed in a, in a fire pan as they're moving uh, was fire that was not fire that came from the Lord. Uh, and that too is a possibility. Another way of understanding it though is to zero in on the language of before the Lord. When it says before the Lord there, uh, it is highlighting something of where they move. What the sons of Aaron are doing here is something that is not commanded by God, either in terms of their location uh, as well as in terms of their timing. What they're doing was not commanded by God, and as a result, they, judgment was brought against them. The reason why some zero in on this phrase is because later, when you turn to Leviticus 16, it'll make mention of this event again, and it'll, be, it'll highlight that Aaron, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the uh, cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way shall Aaron come into the holy place. And this is what the Lord said uh, to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. And so some have highlighted that this language of the sons of Aaron committing uh, uh, an unauthorized act is the fact that they came into the most holy place. They went behind the curtain uh, before the atonement lid uh, and therefore God brought his judgment upon them. To, to enter into the throne room of a king uninvited, unannounced, uh, was, would be a, a sign of great disrespect. And uh, what is being communicated here uh, is, is that the sons of Aaron barged into the presence of the Lord and disregarding his honor and disregarding 
uh, his order of how they were to approach him. Their sin then would be in presenting an unauthorized offering at the wrong time and in the wrong place. And the fire stands for the whole offering uh, being uh, given. What is clear, though, is that when you look at what Nadab and Abihu are doing, whether you zero in on the word unauthorized or you zero in on the word fire or you zero in on the language of before the Lord, the point is, is that what they did, they did of their own initiative. They did it because it seemed right to them. They did it because they wanted to do it, but it wasn't commanded by God. They decided that they would worship God according to their own will. But we're told that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died. That stands in contrast to what was just said two verses earlier. Two verses earlier, the offerings have been laid up. And fire came down and consumed the offerings and the people rejoiced because God's presence was with them. But now two verses later, fire comes down and consumes the priests because he's rejecting them. And we're seeing something of God's judgment coming against the very servants that were meant to bridge that gap between a righteous God and a sinful people. Now, someone will look at this event and see it as evidence that confirms their suspicion that the God of the Old Testament scriptures is a harsh and a cruel tyrant. That they will look at a passage like this and they will say, it's exactly so. That the God of the Old Testament Bible is a God who is just waiting for people to mess up in order that he can punish them. That that's how he works. But such a view is actually very distorted. It's distorted because it fails to take into consideration the whole context of what's happening here. The whole purpose of the tabernacle was that God wanted to draw near, that God had made a way in which his presence would be known, but not just that God was drawing near, he was drawing near to bless. The purpose of God drawing near was so that Aaron could communicate God's blessing upon the people. And so any notion that simply sees this as uh, a cruel tyrant that wants to find reason to punish misses the whole context of what is the aim here. The purpose of the tabernacle is to communicate God's blessing. But at the same time, the people who are to draw near to this God need to draw near to God rightly. They need to honor God for who he is and not treat God as an object of their own suiting. And so we're seeing here the Lord's judgment coming against the priests because they sinned in the way that they drew near. We have to also remember what it goes on to say. We're given an an explanation there in verse 3. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. As priests, they were leading the people in the way that they would relate with this God. The priests are helping the people. They're instructing the people about understanding what God is like. To misconstrue the character of God will result in a people giving in to idolatry. It will lead the people ultimately to neglecting God 
and using him as a means to an end. And so uh, it's important that we realize how the Lord is defending uh, his own honor and defending uh, his, uh, who he truly is. One commentator by the name of Jay Sklar makes a very helpful point here. He says, imagine that the priests turn to the people. Imagine Aaron after he offers his offering. And he comes out and he communicates the blessing to the people. And the people fall down on their faces. And then Aaron says to them, what are you doing? Why are you bowing? Get up. This is not a time for humility. This is a time for pride. This is a time for us to see our own greatness. We have God under our fingers. Would that not communicate something of the horror of what that priest was doing? He's misconstruing the God who is. If Aaron came out and communicated to the people, it doesn't matter how you worship God. Worship him however you want. We don't have to do these animal sacrifices. We can do it anyway. Again, he would, be, he would be smearing the purposes of God and the character of God as a result. But that's actually what Nadab and Abihu are doing. They are misconstruing the character of God by suggesting it doesn't matter what God has commanded. That God doesn't have to be reverenced by what he says. That we can approach God many different ways and that's okay and so god here is really intervening to prevent the priest's sin from spreading the priests who by their actions are insinuating we can go down this path it's fine we can worship god in many different ways god's action is actually to prevent such a course from taking root in the lives of the people and as a result When we see it in that light, the Lord's judgment on Nadab and Abihu, it is a judgment, but it's also an act of mercy because it is preventing the people from going down that path. It's preventing them from thinking that God is indifferent or that God is not holy or that God does not need to be obeyed according to his commands. So we see here the priests as the sons of Aaron They have a great responsibility in leading the people. Their sin in failing to honor God's commands would have led the people uh, to sin as well and to ultimately have no regard for the Lord. And so as one person has said, even severe judgments can be an act of mercy when they turn people back to God. Even severe judgments from God can be acts of mercy when they turn the beholder back to God. And that's what God is doing here with Israel. A crisis has come. The priesthood has been judged. The priesthood has been found wanting. The priesthood is in violation of God's purposes. Many people will look at this event and they will think uh, that this is an offensive way of thinking about God. Uh, They will take offense. They don't want to think about uh, God in this light. I don't like to think about a God who would judge people over such a matter. I don't like to think that God would judge someone just because they disobeyed his command. Which is really to amount to, I don't want to imagine a God like that. 
I want God to be the way I want him to be, rather than to respond to the God who has revealed himself. God is not whatever we want to make him. God is who he is. He is righteous and holy, and he will uphold his honor. So when someone says uh, something, uh, 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 we respond. Notice that when Moses comes uh, to Aaron, he tells him these things, and it tells him that Aaron held his peace. If someone says something about you and you disagree, uh, you're probably not going to remain quiet. You want to defend yourself. If you see something wrong in a statement, you will most likely want to interject. You will want to defend yourself. You will want to set the record straight. When Moses says this to Aaron, he holds his peace. Because Aaron doesn't see any part to object to. There is no defense that would challenge the rightness of God's actions. And so Aaron holds his peace, recognizing that God is righteous in his judgment. So the event takes place. But we're also told about how this crisis is attended to. Moses calls uh, Mishael and Elzaphan, the cousins of Aaron, to come and to take away the bodies of Nadab and Abihu. Again, you see echoes here of what's happening in the fall. You remember when Adam was in the garden, he was in paradise. Adam also did something strange. He did something unauthorized. And when he did that unauthorized thing by violating God's will, it resulted in death and removal from the presence of God. So now these priests who have engaged in strange fire are succumbed to death and they're being removed from the presence of God. We're, we're being reminded of the consequences of sin. And it seems like everything is just falling apart. The priests, so vital and yet so flawed, so important and yet their integrity is already called into question. But Moses then instructed Aaron uh, and his two remaining sons not to let their ha hair hang loose or to tear their clothes in mourning over the loss of Nadab and Abihu. Again, this is a harsh, it seems such a harsh instruction. But we have to realize here that Moses is not commanding them not to be sad. He's not saying they can't grieve. He's telling them that they are not to give expression to that grief. Why? Many things could be highlighted. One, they have just been consecrated as priests. And they are not to give expression to their mourning, which would ultimately bring them into contact with a dead body, which would ultimately render them unclean. They are to uphold the order of clean and unclean. Later on, we'll see allowances given to the priests, even when it is a close family member. But there's something else that's happening here for why they are not to express their grief. And it's because they, the priests, who are to, in, to, to lead the people and their understanding of God were expected to give their verdict about what had just happened. The priests could not be silent. They had to come to a conviction as to was the Lord right in what he had done. 
The fire that had come out from the Lord was an act of judgment, and these men were instructed to respond in a way that acknowledged that the Lord is righteous. Andrew Bonar says, they who had most to do in exhibiting the mercy of God at the altar were thus foremost in testifying that Jehovah continued to be holy and righteous. You hear that? The priests whose job it was to communicate God as a God of mercy were not to give up on the fact that God is also a God who is righteous in his judgments. He's holy and he's gracious. The priests were to hold on to both of those. And so while they acknowledge that there is a way in which we can come before this holy God, he hasn't compromised his justice. He will vindicate his name. And he's right for what he has done. There's also further instructions given uh, to the priests there not to drink strong drink. Uh, again, this could be a warning uh, uh, or a, uh, an indication of part of what Nadab and Abihu were committing uh, under the influence but it underscores the importance of the priestly ministry. Their work is so important that they cannot be distracted from what they're doing. The priests are the lifeline of the people of God's fellowship with God. They can't be careless. They can't be under strong influence and carry out their work. Too much is at stake. And so uh, this uh, instruction is given to underscore the importance of their ministry uh, and the, uh, not being careless. We see this instruction carried over into the New Covenant, don't we? The same stipulation is applied to elders in the church, that elders are not to be drunkards. We see the same exhortation given to deacons. They're not to be addicted to much wine. The same exhortation is given broadly to all Christians not to be drunk with wine. Why? Because too much is at stake. Christians who are ambassadors of Christ, who carry the name of Christ to a world in darkness, are not to carry out their task aimlessly or carelessly, but rather they are to bear witness to the truth of God in a way that honors the Lord's name in their life. And so we see here that emphasis on the importance of their task uh, being given to the priests. We're also reminded of the priest's responsibility uh, to teach the people in verses 10 and 11. They are to distinguish, uh, to separate the clean from the unclean. They're, they're called to distinguish between the holy and the common. That word there uh, for distinguish is the word separate. It's the same word that was used at the beginning in creation. God created the light and separated the light from the darkness. That God separated the, the dry and the, the wet, the land from the seas. God is a God of order. And the priest's job is to uphold God's order in God's world. They are to bear witness uh, to God's uh, order uh, uh, in their own ministry. So we see this crisis being described. The priesthood has failed. And yet the priesthood's task, they're instructed on how to carry on what is to characterize their work, upholding God's order, not neglecting uh, their responsibility, but uh, vindicating the rightness of God. But then secondly, 
uh, we see uh, the concern. It might seem strange, the second half of this chapter, uh, because it goes on and it starts talking about offerings again. And in fact, it gets stranger because these offerings have already been explained to us. It, it is explaining there uh, the offerings of the purification, uh, the fellowship offering. Uh, there uh, in verses 12 and 13, we're told about the grain offering. In verses 14 and 15, it's talking to us about the fellowship offering. In verse 16, uh, it says that Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin or the purification offering. But we've read about these. Why is it describing them all in detail again? It's again hearkening back or it's calling back to what has taken place. And now there's a great concern about how it was all carried out. This is the goat, uh, it seems, that was offered on behalf of the people just in chapter 9. These events are happening one after another. But it tells us the portion that the priests were expected to eat was burnt up. And so Moses became angry. Again, it seems like another misplay by the priests. They haven't obeyed the command of God. And so Moses becomes very angry with them. The meat was supposed to be eaten by the priests in order to bear the iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them. But you notice that this time, Aaron does defend himself. This time, Aaron has a defense. And in verse 19 and 20, he explains that they did uh, offer the burnt offering and the sin offering. Yet he says, such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? The expected answer is no, the Lord would not have approved. But why would the Lord have not approved? Yes, it was a day of grievance, but more is behind Aaron's rationale. Aaron's reasoning for not eating the prescribed priestly portions was not due to his own will, but his concern of what the, would please the Lord. We can understand Aaron's point this way. Nadab and Abihu's sin happened after the purification offering. It happened after that offering was made for the priests, and so they were in need of atonement themselves. This meant that the people's purification offering must serve to atone for their sins as well as the priests, just as it is commanded in Leviticus 4. What do we see in Aaron's defense here? We see a concern to be faithful to God's will. And because Aaron doesn't know if he's allowed to eat of this offering, because they themselves need atonement, because they themselves are guilty of sin, he doesn't partake. There is a caution there that is seeking to honor God's will rather than boldly proceeding and violating God's commandments. There's a difference. And so it says, when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. The consecration of the priesthood is a pivotal development in God's purposes. God made his presence known with his people through the ministry of priests. It is the ministry of the priesthood that the holiness and the mercy of God are demonstrated. We need a priest, one who stands between us and God. 
one who represents us, bearing our names on his heart, one who can offer sacrifices in our place, one who can minister to us God's blessings, one who can communicate to us God's presence. But more than that, we need a certain kind of priest, a priest who upholds God's justice, while at the same time upholding God's mercy. One who is so concerned about honoring God's commands that he isn't flawed. One who does not compromise everything, even as we see happening here. A priest who allows us then to have confidence to draw near to God's throne of grace. Isn't that what Hebrews said? Therefore we have confidence. Why do you have confidence to draw near to God? Is it because of your good works that are flawed? Is it because of your track record, which is spotty? Where exactly can you find confidence? Hebrews is telling us it's because of your high priest. What kind of high priest do we have? Not Aaron. Not Nadab and Abihu. Not Eli. A high priest who is marked flawlessly by a willingness to do all that the Lord has commanded. A high priest who honors the Lord, who consecrates his name, and ensures that God's name is glorified because he shows the righteousness of God and the mercy of God. One who offers sacrifices his own self in order to make atonement for sin. Jesus not only perfectly manifests the mercy of God, he also manifests the holiness of God. He shows us how God is both. And he upholds and honors God's character. We live in a day of religious pluralism. Where people want to, make, want to avoid making judgments. Someone will say it doesn't really matter how you worship. As long as you worship something greater than yourself. What's important is, is that we affirm a higher power. What really matters is that we believe in something greater than ourselves. That's strange fire. That's an unauthorized worship. The reason why Paul pronounces a curse on anyone who preaches another gospel is because it violates the honor of God's name. It smears the character of God. It denies God's righteousness, but it also cheapens the way of salvation that God has made. It belittles the work of our great high priest, who himself said, no one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus teaches us that there is one way of salvation. Jesus teaches us as the one who reveals the glory of God and who upholds the glory of God that we can only come into God's presence with confidence through him. And the writer of Hebrews explains that to us. It's because he offers up his own blood. It's because he dies in the place of sinners so that we might come before him. Hebrews writes, 
that Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of bulls and goats, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. What Nadab and Abihu did is, is that they were risking smearing God's glory. And God wasn't going to have it. What we need is a, a high priest who preserves the glory of God. Who shows us not only a God who is merciful, but a God who is righteous as well. And Christ does both of those things. He honors God's name. And God's name will be glorified as a result. Are we trusting in that great high priest? One who defends and upholds the glory of God and his order. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the tabernacle worship, that we would recognize that you are a God who has established these things with a purpose. We pray, Lord, that as we think of the task of the priests in making a separation and of upholding your order, we pray, Lord, that we would understand that you are a God who has made a way of salvation, but that it must be honored and reverenced, that we would not be defiant or resistant. But we pray, Lord, that we would be grateful that there is a way in which we can draw near. And we pray that we would be people who draw near with confidence as we look to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus. So go before us, we pray in his name. Amen.